the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. About a story out of Texas that I'll get to about a woman, a mother, at a uh, Lake Travis Independent School District uh, meeting where it looks like all the most importance of politics is taking place these days. Notice not all the politics, just what I'm calling the most important of politics, how we teach our youth. As Plato put it, the two most important questions a society must ask is who teaches the children and what are they being taught? I didn't know this book. Perhaps some of you do. But it was a middle school mother who was upset about a book called Out of Darkness by one Ashley Hope Perez, which was in at least two district middle schools, seventh graders and eighth graders, right? She read passages from this book to the seventh graders and eighth graders. I guess Mark Twain is out. I have no idea why we just can't go back to the stuff that brought us to Martin Luther King. I mean, the kind of stuff like... A mockingbird. I mean, I just I, you you got to wonder. You got to wonder what people raised on that would think of literature like this. Page thirty nine. Take her out back. We boys figured. Then put your hand on the. You know what? And then put your other in the. Anyway, I I can't even read the passage. She read it. She read it. But it's um, it's the kind of stuff you would read uh, if you were reading about graphic rape. What's interesting about this, as I was looking, I didn't know the author. Uh, perhaps, again, some of you do, Ashley Hope Perez. It was a book she wrote uh, about six, seven years ago, and Out of Darkness. And it's about a 1937 incident in Texas, a 1937 incident in New London, Texas. For those of you that don't know the story of 1937 New London, Texas, a terrible explosion happened by accident in a school in New London, and it killed hundreds of people. The reason we now have um, a scent in natural gas is so that we is is resultant legislation, you know, making natural gas have a scent to it, is resultant from that explosion in 1937. But if you read about this novel, I've not read the novel. Uh, it's said that the novel begins with the school expo- explosion and then recounts prior events about a 17-year-old high school senior from San Antonio, Hispanic American, who moves in with her oil field worker stepfather. She becomes friends and falls in love with one wash fuller, an African-American boy. Naomi deals with the overt racism in New London and her history with her father. After the explosion occurs, the townspeople blame wash for the disaster the African-American family for the disaster. All of this is fiction. And it's promoted as a novel, I get it, uh, from a a small town in 1937, uh, where this incident, so far as I know, where a black family was blamed for the explosion, just did not happen. Just didn't happen. Uh, 
So this is um, this for those that say, well, we shouldn't engage in prematurely yanking or a priori yanking or peremptorily peremptorily yanking books out of schools. That always gives its own kind of stench to us. Maybe appropriateness and age appropriateness. Can we agree that maybe fifth graders shouldn't read what college students read? And maybe we can agree that seventh graders shouldn't read about graphic rape that makes them look up biological parts in something that clearly is meant to actually teach about racial disparities in this country in a fictional novel based on partly true history. So everything you need to know about race, I suppose, in Texas, if you're a seventh grader at this school, or at least a big part of what you're supposed to know about race in Texas, is fiction. But sexualized, hyper-sexualized fiction. I just, you know, I'm going to tell you, uh, when, when, when we're done, when we're done with the adults making these kinds of decisions that affect the lives of our children, um, I think we're going to realize that it affected more than the lives of our children. If you're tired of hearing me say it, I'm not going to get tired of saying it. But you cannot graduate 4 million high school students a year in this country steeped in this kind of crud and expect it not to have an effect. The receipts are in. Yesterday I was talking a little bit about or beginning to talk about uh, the problem cynics and cynicism has on our society. And I was put in mind this morning of it again talking to a friend of mine who's the least cynical person I know. In fact, I call him from time to time just when the anxiety meter's running a little high, <laughs> and he always puts a nice positive spin on things. But in any event, that's my friend Dimitri. We play some of his music from time to time. Anyway, it had me uh, thinking of a classic work by um, a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, who in the 40s, 50s, and probably 60s, I would say his popularity started dwindling in the 70s, but in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, is a very prominent name. Next time those of you recite the serenity prayer, how's it go? Uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You're quoting Reinhold Niebuhr. He wrote that. He wrote that, among a lot of other things, um, including a, a book, not a novel, not fake history, a book called Children of Light and Children of Darkness. This was in the 40s. And one of the things he wrote there having to do with cynicism was this, quote, Our democratic civilization has been built not by children of darkness, but by the children of light. It has been under attack by the children of darkness, who are our moral cynics. Understand that, right? The darkness are the cynics. The children of darkness are evil. Because they know no law beyond themselves. They are wise, though evil, because they understand the power of self-interest. Let me repeat. They are wise, though evil. By contrast, Niebuhr writes, the children of light are virtuous because they have some conception of a higher law other than their own will. The non-cynics have some conception of a higher law other than their own 
will. Then he writes this, Reinhold Niebuhr does, the most important of things. They, the children of light, you know, we who appreciate a higher law and realize that the self is not the most important thing, they, the children of light, underestimate the peril of anarchy in both the national and international community that is wrought by the children of darkness. In other words, the children of darkness, the unenlightened, if you will, are about two things. The power of will and anarchy based on cynicism. Cynicism can be moral. It can be about the country. It can be about our politics. The children of light, the enlightened, the truly woke who love self-evident truths, if you think about it, the truly woke, we who are enlightened, at least those of us who believe in the enlightenment, we're really perhaps the most woke of all. Love self-evident truths. We think of them as a singular gift from what? The era of the enlightenment. What is their foible? What is their weakness? What is our weakness? It is underestimating the danger of anarchy. It is underestimating the children of darkness. What they can do to a country. What they can do to a culture. What they can do to a society. The receipts are in for those who started in the 1960s calling us a sick society. And we're singing, we're on the eve of destruction this moved through the 70s and 80s with all kinds, all kinds of warnings, alarms, and excursions, none of which came true about whether it was the population bomb that was going to destroy entire civilizations or even nuclear winter with the arsenal under the finger of Ronald Reagan. Always sick, always on the precipice of destruction. Well, as the Canadian novels, novelist Robertson Davies put it, and perhaps he's the novelist our seventh graders should be reading instead of this other nonsense, as he put it, beware the cynics and dampers. Nothing positive ever came from them. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, and welcome back to our dear friend John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He's here with our culture and economy update, his website, grandcanyonplanning.com. He has a radio show here every Saturday at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. J.D., welcome back. I hope you had a nice little break. I did. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You bet. Did you travel at all, or were you mostly homebound? Uh, no, I actually did, and I actually traveled out of the country. And what's interesting, Seth, for me to leave the country, I had to do a number of things yep. to get out of the country. Sure. And then guess what? For <laughs> me to come back into this country, I had to go through a few hoops to jump through as a U.S. citizen yep. uh, in order to be able to enter back into the country legally. Yep. Just, just just, to throw that out there. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you probably wouldn't have had to had you changed your route and come in through yep. the South. Yeah, that would uh, be a little bit uh, different then, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Prager said something eerily uh, uncomfortable the other day, having just come back from Hungary and how he's always – you heard this, Bill, right? How he's always delighted when he comes back into – I think he flies usually back into JFK, and just he just gets this overwhelming feeling of being home and freedom. 
And he right. said the last time, um, which was about a month ago, he said he left Hungary, and when he got here, he felt he was leaving a more free country for a less. How wow. sad is that? That's pretty, pretty uh, bold statement, yeah. Talk to yeah. me about where we are economically, John. We had a bad day yesterday. Today's looking a little more up. Where are things in your book? Yeah, we had a, we had a little bit of a challenge yesterday. We did see the markets have one of the worst days of uh, the year. Um, you know, we've seen this before. Uh, and I do believe there's a lot more volatility here. And, you know, it's interesting. September is a month of of uh, volatility if we go back and look at the history of the markets. Um, but there are specific reasons why we're seeing a little bit of the jitterness right now that's got running through the market. Um, Fed Chair Powell is going to be talking again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Gonna, you know, the assumption is at this point he's not going to be uh, talking about raising rates any sooner than expected. Also, you know, the concern over the Delta variant um, still spreading spreading across the country, uh, keeping the economy, at, you know, from getting back to its full full capacity. And uh, so, I think this is going to be a really important meeting um, that we're going to uh, listen very closely to the Fed to see what they're going to be doing. If they're going to be starting to tapering on their buying back of of bonds, uh, you know. We're looking at the national debt here. We're looking at uh, the extraordinary measures that uh, if if we don't see uh, the debt ceiling raised, what's going to happen? Will the U.S. default on debt? There are a lot of things happening right now, Seth, that need to be settled instead of talking about spending another five, six, seven trillion dollars, uh, which is what's been talked about uh, in Washington over the past few months. Here, we need to get back to some real. Uh, budgeting and get get on track here but i don't think we're going to see that do you remember in 2012 help you remember it was a presidential election barack obama was reelected in 2012 do you remember i mean things 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 were were you know do you remember how bad they were they were so bad yeah. we reelected the president i say this yeah. sarcastically we had a, just about a three and a half trillion dollar total budget total right total yeah right. remember how awful that was so now we're doubling yeah. it yeah. Well, let's let's hope that we don't see a repeat of that in uh, twenty uh, twenty four. Is it? Yeah. No. I I, I mean I, I I'm I'm totally worried about uh, worried about the budget, and I'll tell you I'm totally worried about blue ethics taking over red ones, spending ethics taking over austerity ethics. You and I were looking earlier today at this email from Steve Moore. It's still right. interesting. It's still true. The yeah. ten. Best and unemployment best rates and the yeah. ten worst yeah. by state. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not unobvious what's going on yeah. here. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty obvious. Is right, and you're seeing all these blue states with these high unemployment levels. Yeah, in the sevens. Yeah, in the sevens. And the yeah. reds are in the twos. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, when you look at it, and of course when we look at uh, the situation with COVID in the different states, even with all of these uh, shutdowns in these. Uh, blue states, you're not seeing any difference really in um, the COVID levels in the states that are open for business. No, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. It's, it's really uh, Do you have a travel tip for anyone, uh, any country they should go th- consider going to that you went to and liked? No, I still love the U.S. There you go. I that's I'd want to guy. move from the U.S. That's my guy. <laughs> All right, brother. You, All still, right. you still got those fast lips and tongue? I do. Securities Let's Advisory see. Services offer to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Plenty Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You got it. Take I missed you all. Okay. I missed you too. Thank you. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Right here. We will be right back.
I was just talking to a colleague, uh, one I, I don't think I've referenced on air here before, and she was telling me about an experience, a customer service experience she had recently. It's it's so common now. Do you, are you guys with me on this? If If you're expecting good customer service these days or people to do what they say they're going to do and it, it it's just increasingly to me the case that we have to lower expectations and i hate it obviously i'm never about low expectations but it seems to me if we want to be happier in this society we're going to have to accommodate to the fact that we are now dealing with a a, a level of service in this country and commitment to doing things that is partly infected by anxiety, partly infected by a lousy work ethic, and partly infected by a, a generation that just wasn't brought up and taught the same way the previous generation's work ethic was communicated. Uh, you're just going to have I, – I, I, expectations just have to be lower and patience needs to be higher. And I hate it, but I think that might be the key to happiness, at least when it comes – to our social and, bi- and social business interactions, which is one of the reasons when we promote a company here, I almost always mention the customer service because it's the thing, really, I'm interested in almost as much as their ability to get the job done. You know, will they get it done? Will they get it done competently? Will they get it done when they say? Will they make you feel regret for having called them? These are not the kind of companies I endorse, unfortunately. I think it's just too often the case. I didn't mean to go on that rant. I was just thinking about the conversation I was having with a colleague during the break. That having been said, um, I know she may not be everyone's cup of tea, and she has a lot to answer for in um, her previous defenses of Joe Biden. But notice, um, notice the trend here. You know, I have been talking an awful lot about the next conservative converts coming from the left and liberal arenas of censorship. If you are a good liberal, like a Brett Weinstein, let's say, I think you're going to be our next conservative. And lo and behold, it looks like he's moving quite rapidly in that direction. There's another way to do it, which is be a moderate Republican and go to Hollywood, or be a moderate Republican and be forced for five days a week to sit amongst four dunderheaded leftists. And I think, I think that's what happened with Meghan McCain. She is moving steadily. To, now, again, I understand uh, there are a lot of people responsible for Joe Biden's presidency, and she did her effort to help him get elected. And there is a lot of comeuppance that needs to go with that. But I'll take the zeal of a convert I'll take the zeal of a convert, just as Lincoln did. You know what Lincoln said? Stand with anyone that stands right when they're right. Depart from them when they're wrong. You don't just stand with people because of respect they'd earned on other things. You stand with them on those things, and when they depart, you depart. Or counsel and teach. And with someone whom you disagree with joins you, you never know where your next coalition is going to come from. Megan McCain writes in her first column for the Daily Mail, eight months since President Biden was sworn into office, the anticipation of a tone change and return to normalcy has utterly disappeared. The man I once considered a friend and confidant has morphed into a feckless and unreliable leader, 
I no longer recognize. He gives all the signs of stubborn, cantankerous naivete surrounded by idiotic sycophants. Anyone who has spent more than 15 minutes around politics should easily recognize this as the worst type of corrupt bureaucracy. I'll get back into what she says in a minute because, again, I do real- realize a lot of people are are upset with the Meghan McCain's of the world who did their best to see that Joe Biden was elected. They couldn't see beyond their prejudice and biases, perhaps. Biases having to do with Donald Trump and her dad, biases having to do with Joe Biden's family relationship to the McCain family. But this is obviously something I have long abjured. You shouldn't use you shouldn't use the kind of relationship that Joe Biden used with McCain as a member of the McCain family that then use on behalf of Joe Biden. When Joe Biden was there during the McCain funerals, funerals, when he was there during the McCain funerals, he spoke as if he were a man who was bipartisan and could work with Republicans. Turns out, turns out that, as many of us suspected, most of that work is when Republicans joined Democrats, a la John McCain, or they happened to be Republicans of yore before the Reagan revolution. Now, let me pause on that for a moment, because there was an other interesting conversation I was engaged in this weekend, and I would love your insights into this. Someone smart said that Donald Trump broke our culture. Donald Trump broke our civility. Donald Trump broke our domestic tranquility. And my first thought was, how? My second thought was, how can you say this? And I understood the answer to the second before I understood the answer to the first. The reason they can say this is because liberalism and leftism in the high culture, let me just say in the culture, liberalism and leftism in the culture assumes and thinks it is the default and is in charge. It assumes it is the default and is in charge. It assumes that if you don't agree with it, you aren't a dissident, you are an enemy of the people. That is the language Nancy Pelosi has used on Donald Trump and his supporters, enemies of the people. Once you think you are in charge and the default, anyone who challenges or dissents from your programmatic view of politics, from your political nostrums, anyone who dissents is obviously not only out of the mainstream, but if they dissent on enough things and you think your position is the default, you can call them un-American. That, too, is what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have called Trump and their supporters. In other words, you can write them out, not only of the political mainstream, but you can write them out of the American mainstream. So when the left says Donald Trump broke our civility, it's because Donald Trump started talking about the very things that they had done, instantiated, 
changed, revolutionized, that no one else was willing to talk about. He wanted to challenge left-wing nostrums. He wanted to challenge anti-American ideologies. He wanted to, in other words, answer the left. And to them, that was breaking the country. To them, that was breaking civility. To them, that was declaring domestic war. It wasn't. It was merely the beginning of an effort to start reclaiming a country from a progressivism that should never have become mainstream. I suppose if one wants to draw up a tote board of all the things Joe Biden has screwed up, messed up, made worse in the last uh, almost nine months, yeah, nine months now to the day, in the last nine months, then um, if one wants to draw that tote board, one might explain it by pointing out that this is leftism run riot. Leftism run riot. Once comes the notion, for example that this administration needs to come to town, come to governance to help rid us of, of, to take one example, systemic racism. Well, listener Charles puts it this way. For the better part of the last several decades, the Senate, the Congress, the courts, the White House, the education system, sports and entertainment world, the networks, the media, the majority of our largest cities and several major state governorships, the magazine covers, the awards shows, and the rest of the cultural elite and who knows what else has been controlled by Democrats. So who is this systemic in the phrase systemic racism? It ain't the Republicans. The reason I think that's worth pointing out, thank you for it, Charles, the reason I think it's worth pointing out is if you're going to wrestle with the levers of public policy and government, and you come in with a revolutionary zeal, which is what the anti-racist movement is in this country. If you come in with a revolutionary zeal, and if you come in with a revolutionary zeal on any number of issues, whether they have to do with foreign policy, whether they have to do with immigration, everything Joe Biden spoke about and condemned Trump for, and you get there, and you come in with your revolutionary zeal and your revolutionary progressive policies, maybe don't be so surprised that they don't work. Maybe don't be so surprised that you're making things worse. When you have the choice to turn the ship of state towards more freedom and more common sense or towards more Marxism and progressism, progressivism, an experiment. Don't be surprised if that left turn wrecks the ship because it's wrecked every other ship that has gone in that direction. Every other ship that has gone in that direction. I have a really interesting guest coming up. I quoted his article yesterday to Roy Murdoch about how the movie Respect about Aretha Franklin in and of itself detonates critical race theory. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.